John Brannion, professional comedian for more than 30 years. And I'm Amanda McKinney, John's daughter for more than 30 years. Our family believes laughing is a learned behavior, and we want to teach you how we do it. So welcome to the kitchen table of the comedian next door. You couldn't mm-hmm. hear us because somebody muted us. I did not. I haven't touched anything. It was all you. Welcome to the kitchen table of the comedian next door. I am the aforementioned comedian next door. My name is John. This is Amanda. And your name is Carl. I seriously don't know how those got muted. It doesn't usually mute when we do the intro. It's probably breaking. Song. You know, it's pro- we've had it for, what, six weeks now. So it's time for this piece of electronic equipment that we spent a small fortune on to be I'm rubbish. I'm concerned, but I'm not going to let it ruin my day. To return to dust from which it was made. And, <laughs> and we'll just have to get another piece. So We have a house guest. We have a house guest. Are you going to introduce him? No, I was waiting for you. Our house guest is <laughs> Nathan Hunter, who's been on the show before. But it was formerly, it was called the Comedy Sojourn back then. Right. He hasn't been on The Comedian Next Door. And so this time, uh, Nathan came on because uh, I felt like we needed to bring Nathan back on and teach him how to (laughs) properly troll me. Right. So go ahead and say hi, Nathan, before we get into this. Hi, Carl. It's been a while. (laughs) Nathan is Carl, too. This is going to be very He is Carl and Nathan. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we were having a conversation about... Uh, I don't even remember for sure what the topic was. Um, like online? Yeah. We were talking about critical race theory. Talking about critical race theory. And Nathan was trying his hardest to to upset me and to troll me um, <laughs> because he was he was apologizing beforehand. He was in a different channel saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you about this critical race thing, but I think I'm going to disagree with you. And... Uh, and I'm going to troll you. And I said, okay, go for it. And then he just did a terrible job of trolling me. <laughs> and I was embarrassed for you, Nathan, because I know you were trying to be controversial and you were trying to get under my skin. And so I thought that it would be important and a worthwhile use of our time if we had you actually come on so that we can do some proper educating for how to how to troll me now don't let dad bully you into a different story because we all know he likes to remember things differently than they occurred so jump on in here and give your side of the story at any point oh yeah i'm pretty sure that he's the one that's trolling me right now <laughs> <laughs> all i said was i was just going to tease out the discussion a little bit because john has a lot of friends um where he posts and Sometimes it's helpful um, if you're in a group where people disagree to bring in areas where people might have legitimate questions or where people might ask for more follow-up or give some pushback. So just kind of speaking to the issue a little bit from the other side helps to get all of us to think of things on a deeper level. And uh, I was more hoping that anybody who saw our conversation would benefit from it 
but yeah, you're right. I uh, I'm not very good at actually trying to attack people and annoy them. <laughs> and shame on you for that. <laughs> well, you know, and that's why, again, I wanted you to come on because I think I can make you better at attacking people and uh, and trolling them, for lack of a better term. The the, uh, the issue, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, is that that. Christian people, when they dialogue with each other, we have kind of grown up in a culture where uh, where we're afraid to say things that might push back on what somebody else has said because, because so many people take it personally and so many people actually feel attacked when they meet with opposition or disagreement. And so mm-hmm. I think that was what you were trying to, to head off and uh, when you said, hey, I'm going to push back on you a little bit, is that okay? And, um, and so the, the, the objection, the one thing I have against you, Nathan, is uh, that what makes you different from the many people who I've had conversations with who have attempted to push back on me is uh, that you did too good a job of representing my point of view. <laughs> and that was where you made your big mistake. I think I told you... <laughs> that uh, you needed to do a better job of setting up a straw man and then attacking that straw man. And what you did was you fairly and accurately represented my point of view and then responded to it. And so that was, that was the problem. Nathan, talk a little bit about like your background, what qualifies you to talk about critical race theory, AKA CRT. And then I'm scrolling right now to find the original. How dare you question me? I'm That's finding what the we're asking. I'm going to go on social media and figure out where this conversation How was so I can read it for dare Carl. you question me. What gives you the right? Well, before I answer that question, I'm going to have a short conversation with one of my dear little children. <laughs> Yay! Yay! It's a house guest episode. And this is what we... I have, what, uh, seven kids? No, eight kids out in my living room right now. And apparently Nathan's got one in his office, too. Yes, it's fantastic. If you, if you don't get interrupted by one of your children, then we're going to have to bring one or two of our children in here to interrupt us. <laughs> to fulfill that role. So, so to answer the question, um, my answer is actually going to be a bit disappointing because I believe it was back in the beginning of this year, um, you two had kind of floated the idea of, hey, let's let's get about three or four people together on one podcast and we'll uh discuss critical race theory and i actually declined at the time yeah (laughs) because it's something that um you know you hear about it uh it gets thrown around but i'm really actually trying to understand it on the deepest level possible so i'm really in the middle of the research so that's disappointing but the only the only real answer i can give you is listen to what it is that I have to say and compare it with the evidence. And if I can produce something of value, then you can attribute value to me because value is earned. Um, but if what I produce is not of value, then I don't expect to be taken seriously. And I feel like that's fair. That is fair. And that's why what you're uh, professing is not critical race theory. <laughs> you're way too fair. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Right, because you try to be fair and equal and rational, and none of those things have any place in critical race theory. 
Yeah, I would say if I was going to characterize Nathan for Carl, because he's been in the Telegram group for a long time now, which is our super secret Telegram group. You get the link if you become a member of the Comedy Click on johnbranion.com. Um, so you Big. can actually talk to Nathan directly if you become a member of the Click and get that link for the Telegram group. But he's always trying to be very thoughtful, and he's always trying to be like, now let me make sure that I've got this clear and that we're coming, you know, we're understanding each other right now. And what I told him this week was if you're going to try to be the, the bad cop, you know, or the devil's advocate, and you're going to try to represent critical race theory specifically, um, but anybody who's a critic of anything that we do, if you're going to try to represent them more accurately or more true to life, you have to kind of throw all of that decorum and fairness out the window. <laughs> because most of the time when somebody's angry, it's not because of the facts. It's usually just sort of a purely emotional thing. And I wouldn't necessarily say Nathan is this like rash emotional guy. Would you? It doesn't strike me. Would you agree? Yeah, in the, in the conversations that we've had, no, I wouldn't call emotionalism one of his features. So you've been watching Dad's posts lately on Facebook. Nathan, he spent mm -hmm. a long time doing Pride Month stuff. Like this whole last month, he posted a lot about the LGBT. Did you roll your eyes when you said that? I wasn't trying to, but maybe I did subconsciously. I look like he's a long time. It's been a lot of time. Like posting. I was the one that set up Pride Month. Like that was my idea. <laughs> so there's that. And I think you've been wanting to jump in. Is that fair? Um, I've just been watching it and kind of learning from it and apparently um i'm here to learn from you in the from john and the peaches so As that I would be a good thing because what i'm used to trying to do is deal with the realm of ideas so instead of a straw man you construct a steel man where you try your best to understand someone's position and then produce the strongest argument possible for it and then defeat that um, but I don't know if you've had this experience, but the experience that, that I'm running into more and more as I interact, uh, as I interact with people is there are arguments that are so good that you don't really have a proper response for them. But there are also arguments that are so bizarre and strange that you're, you're not quite sure how to respond. And the person walks away from the conversation feeling as though they have refuted you. And you walk away from the conversation thinking that that person is not able to use logic properly. And you kind of pity them a little bit. Right. Um, and there are some what, what, that are what Peaches was, was <laughs> what Peaches was really um, explaining is if you're going to get out of the echo chamber, you need to. Um, replicate the way that somebody thinks and argues and feels so that you can equip people to be in a position very similar to it. Because the more that you recognize what's coming towards you, as soon as you speak up and, or as soon as you try to produce an argument, the less you're taken aback by it right. and you're equipped to actually deal with it. Right. And you two spend significantly more time um, engaging with the culture than I'm able to. And so you two came to me and John said, I was definitely going to criticize Nathan for <laughs> quote unquote attacking me. Right. <laughs> but your problem was you're going about this way too. Nice. You're just doing it wrong. You're, just yeah, you're, you're representing wrong. me accurately. You're right. trying to be fair 
you're yeah. you're you're trying to make sense think through this carefully right. <laughs> i'm trying to be nice trying i'm trying sense. to be nice right um <laughs> we need to we need to have you on the podcast to teach you how to do this properly yeah. and i thought what i meant i'll by, go to the comedian's house <laughs> what i right. meant from your background yes welcome to the comedian's house what i meant by your background though is you're in school aren't you are you in seminary right now um i'm at a local school uh called blue ridge institute for theological education it's in central virginia and it's a coalition of about a dozen um reformed churches that have come together and sought to find people who are elders and qualified to teach certain subjects and um you can find some excellent courses there uh the most recent one i took was church history and the professor there also happened to be chairman of history at the college that he worked at and an elder at his church so i felt that he was very qualified um to handle that subject yeah, yeah yeah and then you also took a picture of this textbook that you've been reading i think it's required reading for one of your courses on crt oh no 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 not oh, not one of own. my classes but okay. uh in listening to lecturers trying to interact with crt i've come across uh, a book called critical race theory and introduction by john stefanchik and richard delgado uh, which does lay out some of the ideological philosophical um, precursors to the thought process that's employed here, such as the French derivation of postmodernism via uh, Jacques Derrida and Jacques uh, Rousseau, I mispronounced the first one, yeah. um, to uh, Antonio Gramsci, and an Italian Marxist-Leninist, um, to critical theory in general and how it developed in the legal sphere through uh, people such as Derrick Bell or Kimberly Crenshaw. Yeah. Um, right. And so I'm kind of just, I'm trying to follow the trail, read original sources, and really wrap my mind around how these people rationalize their position because I don't want to misrepresent it. Yeah. Right. And that is the crux of your problem. <laughs> uh, Nathan. Yeah, the, it's, it's clear ER. when you talk to Nathan that he cares about facts and he wants to make sure he is, is yeah, doing that steel man process or right. he's not you know mischaracterizing anything but he's really listening to the you know where everything is coming from and yep. making sure he's clear on all of that yep but it doesn't translate into social media and because 99 percent of people on social media are not reading gigantic textbooks on critical race theory your your relentless commitment to the truth is what makes you utterly useless <laughs> in trying to represent the other side uh for for the purposes of training people in how to engage with the other side and so because the other side does not have uh, any semblance of the truth or any semblance of rationality in their argumentation they're not reading derrida right they're not reading and, and they are pontificating endlessly on the virtues of critical race theory and they're preaching to me about all of the good things that I have to learn about critical race theory when they themselves know nothing about critical race theory other than what they have been uh, told by other people who Don't know nothing know. <laughs> about critical race theory. Yeah. And so that's the, uh, that's the reality that, that we in the church are operating within. Most of the time, Carl, 
when you go to have a conversation with somebody who is your quote unquote opponent, it's not going to be somebody like Nathan because Nathan is thoughtful and uh, and has researched. a and has a researched and reasoned explanation for the views that he has, unless he says, "I haven't researched that enough to have a view," and. Yeah. 99% of the time, Carl, look at me. Look me in the eyes. You're never <laughs> going to encounter people like Nathan when you're defending your point of view. Yeah. Nobody just, thinks they haven't researched enough. Everybody yeah. on Facebook thinks they have a researched opinion on whatever it is. Right. Um, and so yeah. we were, so, so we wanted to, I, I wanted to have Nathan come on and make that absolutely clear that, that it's, if you're going to, Represent because I know how important the truth is to you, Nathan. If you're going to represent yourself as a uh, as an accurate adversary of the truth, then you're going to ner- Wait, you're going to adversary need adversary or advocate. If you're going to be an if you're going to be an adversary, I should have said if you're going to be an adversary of mine. If you're going to if you're going yes. to push back against me and my ideas accurately, the way that the way that most people push back. Like I told you, you're going to have to be dumber. You're going to have to work on being much more dumb in in the way that you talk. So here here was the context. Dad posted a meme a couple of days ago um, that it that it wasn't his. It was a cartoon panel. I don't Nathan probably can't even see that, but he I just, assume remembers three just days the first ago. two panels. Um, were, there yeah, was the two. Panels. Well, I've got it pulled up too. So oh, okay, oh, he's, he's got, got it too. Okay, yeah. So the first panel said what we were taught, and at the bottom, it's it's got like a picture of a soldier, a white soldier, and it says the GI Bill helped vets to secure loans to buy a house after they returned from World War II. The second panel says what we would have been taught, or what we would be taught with critical race theory in schools. It's a picture of a black soldier, and it says closed on the door. And the, the caption says, many banks refused to approve loans to black vets, resulting in fewer than 100 out of 67,000 mortgages going to non-white borrowers in some suburbs. Um, and then dad added to that panel, he, he put a third panel on of his own that says, what we know because we aren't stupid. Critical race theory is a false religion that teaches whiteness is the cause of all evil. CRT is toxic and not to be trusted ever. Um, and that was not part of the original cartoon. That was not. I added that. And sent, and I think Nathan was pushing back on... Well, he, I, I he don't was saying pu- you mischaracterized that, the cartoon, a little yes. bit. right. Which you did. So you can... <laughs> yeah, you, so you can speak. But we were also... She's supposed talking. to be your ally. She just turned on you. Yeah, yeah I, that's okay. I'm, I'm a really I'm, bad ally. I am... Absolutely, I'm always prepared for the peaches to turn on me. But it's important for people to know that Nathan and Dad and I were all talking on Telegram at the same time. So there was a public conversation happening underneath this cartoon on Facebook. But then the three of us were also kind of in cahoots behind the scenes to discuss like what would be most beneficial to the body. Right. To and, see I, us and I want to get Nathan's point of view. I want yeah. you to articulate what your problem was with what I said, you know, in my cart, my addition to that cartoon. I want to know what you were what you were bugged about. <laughs> I wasn't bugged. Um, See, doggone so, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why I wanted to tease it out a little bit is because in discussing the GI Bill, anybody who looks at those two panels is likely going to think, is there anything necessarily wrong with what was presented there? And 
I asked, did this actually occur with the GI Bill? Was discrimination present? And if so, what's wrong with pointing that out? And I feel like that's going to be what most people's reaction to that post is going to be. It, but if you jump straight towards critical race theory is bad and it's evil, then that doesn't really answer that question. What's wrong with, and I'm going to quote what is being said more often today, what's wrong with representing accurate history? Right. Why is it that you don't, John, why is it that you don't want to talk about race and racial issues and you're using critical race theory as an occasion to push back because of your discomfort in discussing these issues? Right. Now, see, I don't remember him saying it that way. This did what he? He no, said. I, no, I didn't. You keep, <laughs> you, well, Dad keeps saying like he I was, was going to say because that's actually pretty good. That, that Here's what he actually said. Quote, this is Nathan saying, John, I want to tease this out if you don't mind. So I will ask, is it not true that banks refused to approve loans to black vets? And if so, why is it wrong to tell students that that happened? So right. he's basically trying to get you to show your work. And that's a phrase uh -huh. that Dad and I have used a lot because dad as a comedian likes to jump to the punchline. If you show too much work, you ruin the joke. If you if you characterize Nathan as bugged and annoyed and being a troll, that's funnier than if you actually accurately represent him as trying to be on our side. Right, because there's nothing funny about being <laughs> rational and thoughtful. Right. I have to right. present him as some kind of a kook or else it's not interesting. Right. So and so but as a result then when we have conversations with people who aren't familiar with, you know, that style online they feel like they got left behind six or seven steps back because they don't right. understand how he arrived. How does one of these lead to the other? What does what does black vets being denied bank loans have to do with CRT being a false religion? You've right. got a lot of space to fill in there. And so Nathan was trying to come along to fill in that space. And I'm really appreciative of him for that because people don't know how to have conversations online anymore or anywhere. They don't know how to push back at all. And so I was telling Nathan... You know, I would love if you would fill in that role and, and come and help us walk people along, hold them by the hand, and explain how we got to panel three. But there's mm -hmm. just, there is still one small problem. Nobody knows what you're talking about. Because the average person who is trying to argue about CRT is not actually interested in studying CRT or more accurately understanding it. Would you say that's mm -hmm. right? True. Well, and that's where, and and that's why I tried to, in my own way, I tried to set myself up as the willing target for any sort of <laughs> wrath, either yeah. real or imagined. So, during our public conversation, so that, so that people could see, oh, here's a guy, here's a thoughtful guy who's disagreeing with John. <gasps> right on his own wall john and he's yep. he's pushing back with what john said oh my gosh publicly are on john's wall what's gonna happen are we allowed to what's, tell john we disagree what's john gonna do is he gonna him? block him i would block him i would i would shut nathan down if he was to say something like that so we were trying to demonstrate that by golly it is okay to call me out and say hey brandon you weren't really fair i mean your 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 third panel that you added really didn't speak to the first two panels um right. and that's fair right that's and you fair. you responded i'm still reading here great question nathan the problem is not teaching the truth about racism and discrimination in favor of teaching accurate history or i'm in favor sorry i'm in favor of teaching accurate history the problem with our cartoon here is that it implies teaching crt is necessary for historical accuracy 
Few people deny that systemic racism in America's history existed. CRT teaches that racism is inherent in white people, which is simply not true. The proponents of CRT use history lessons to smuggle their religion into the classroom. And I would say that's a little bit too far over the heads of most people, too. But, you know. What a shock. Be that as it may, <laughs> um, Nathan came back and what said, a shock. yes, the conclusion of your third panel is that CRT is wrong. But focusing on that second panel where the black soldier was being denied the bank loans, there's nothing there that asserts racism is inherent in white people. So you had a lot of work you didn't show there, Dad. Um, it's, That's fair, too. It's simply a statement of fact. You know, this cartoon right. says black vets were discriminated against. People do put forward these facts to demonstrate that the systemic racism, as you said, is a part of America's history. But here's what I believe is the point of this comic. The first panel is what we were taught in school. The second is what we were not taught. And the new emphasis in schools today is to fill in the gaps. Students are here um, taught about the GI Bill, what it contained and what it was intended for, and how the benefits were or weren't distributed. Surely you're not finding fault with that, John. And that was sort of his softball question to you right. to hopefully help people set, understand. Set it up on the tee for me so that I could. I mean, is that all? That, that's what you had in mind, right, Nathan? To right. be on the same team right. while pretending, I guess for lack of a better word, to, to disagree. That we're sparring. Yeah. For the purpose of strengthening and sharpening and demonstrating how an intelligent conversation is supposed to look. Is that fair? Well, you you actually remember that uh, in the chat, um, in the, behind the scenes, where people couldn't say, I was actually telling you that I was kind of hesitant to present myself as though I'm a CRT advocate because I felt like that would be dishonest. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was sure. why I came across rather uh, non-incendiary, um, but was simply trying to present, even if it was in a fault in a soft way, um, how people might respond to you and how not making the connections, um, you'd kind of leave them behind right. in a in a three-panel comic. So we're struggling, right. I think, because. On one hand, your heart is going out to people who have a genuine hunger for more information and you want to steel man the argument to give them, you know, the most accurate presentation of what the CRT uh, perspective has to offer. But then you also kind of want to accurately present the average uh, person who defends CRT, which I... I am tempted to say useful idiots. People who don't even understand CRT themselves, but they're still like radically passionately obsessed with it and defensive of it and i think it's there's a struggle there because you're saying you want to be able to steal me on the argument but you also feel a little bit dishonest if you're going to try to put yourself off like you agree with that perspective yeah if i were to actually come on facebook and troll john branion and uh call him names and you know type in all caps and insult him then that's just that's not really the way that i generally behave so <laughs> yep. complete strangers might be fooled but that would be dishonest and uh <laughs> anybody that i'm friends with who sees that come across their news feed is gonna be like wow um nathan just lost his mind yeah between today and tuesday right B but my my main concern is i think the average person who is going along with these ideas is they have compassion um 
and that that's what's motivating them perhaps guilt as well and, and i think most people want to express solidarity with african americans and really look back at what has been done in this culture and try to rectify the wrongs of history um i do believe that that is the motivation um the difference is if you're going to disagree with critical race theory it's not because you don't want to discuss race issues and it's not because you don't want racial reconciliation and it's not because you don't want to help black people and i think that's dishonest to say it's because if you look at the situation differently then you're going to frame the situation differently and if you have a different worldview then the solutions that you propose will be different and the enactment of those solutions will produce a different society and a different culture so what i feel like would be very nice is whether you agree with crt right now um, or if you disagree with it if we could both not demonize each other and try to understand each other and really get to the meat of the ideas rather than saying oh well you hate white people oh well you hate black people and we just create another race war essentially and more tensions and i think that's what we're seeing over the last two years uh, i i'd be hard pressed i think to find anybody who would say that things have gotten better with race relations over the last two years yeah i think we agree with that well isn't it isn't it true um, as somebody who has studied crt to a certain extent that any criticism of crt it's baked into crt itself that any criticism of crt proves that you are in fact racist and unwilling to have a conversation because you've rejected the solution the the you assume the the proponents of crt assume that that is the solution and so if you reject the solution then you're just not willing to to work on the problem or am i mischaracterizing the position i think you are barking up the correct tree because um in a lot of theories you propose presuppositions and ideas and when somebody comes to you know disagree with you then your thought process would be well is this person criticizing the idea because the idea is faulty and you go back and forth with the ideas but if as you said uh disagree the disagreement and the opposition that you face is baked into the theory then that kind of stalls that process um the first thought of somebody that you give pushback to is not going to be well maybe this person is saying that this idea is faulty it will likely be well i've also been taught that you can't understand uh, my perspective yeah. because you haven't experienced this yeah. you don't have my perspective and so that kind of takes credibility away from your position and then there's another maybe another concept like white fragility um but perhaps the two of you do not possess within yourselves inherently the ability to handle the tension 
and the the the, um, the stress that would come from dealing with these issues whereas someone like me an african-american would be more well equipped and so as you can see those are the ideas that you're going to run up against when you give pushback and it's not going to be the first thought hey well maybe this person doesn't have ill intent or maybe they're not incompetent maybe it's the ideas that we're actually discussing here yeah i actually watched a video i think it was yesterday if not it was the day before very recently it was a zoom call among four black educators i believe they were in new york um mm -hmm. and i think that some of them were um elementary school teachers i think at least one of them was in an elementary school and then a couple of them were college professors but they were all discussing elementary education they were talking about public schools and how to teach students of all colors how things are basically you know the nature of things and they said these four black americans said well you know one of them said you know how we are we black people um the white people they're so analytical they want to look at you know is this is this true or is this a fact or is this an idea they want to take apart the idea but we black people we're more relational and we more integrate our beliefs with our identities and we are more likely to you know tell stories and she's saying all this stuff and these other three black individuals are nodding along like yep that's true the white people have a different way of of determining what's true than we do and it was only like a 50 second video clip that i watched but it was just them basically agreeing that there's a different way of knowing things among white people they do it like this they're analytical and black people, we're more relational and experiential, and that's just the way it is. And if we're going to teach black students at the elementary school level, we're going to need to understand that they're not as analytical as their white students coming from white families are going to be. And uh, what do you think about that, <laughs> Nathan? You're asking him to analyze that statement? <laughs> well, I, I am because, because I did, like, my first thought was, Seriously, you think everybody who happens to have a certain melanin content is going to be, you know, less analytical, is not capable of analyzing or isn't willing to be analytical? Like, what, that seems a little bit like an assumption to me, you know, that seems a little bit like a racial stereotype to me, but I don't know. What do I know? Maybe that's my <laughs> white fragility talking. And so, well, yeah, go ahead. If it, makes you, if it makes you feel any better, that was uh, my first response when I was hearing things like that too, is uh, that the tree that they're barking up was, well, the black experience is monolithic and black people are this way, white people are this way. And I would think, well, not only does that seem to be stereotyping people on the basis of their appearance, that seems to be, how do I put it? Um, very insulting to black people. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> One of the things I'm looking at right now is the French derivation of postmodernism. Um, the idea that language is used as a tool to articulate concepts and ideas, and the people that have the uh, the power, essentially, um, to dictate these categories and ideas, press them on the society and those underneath them. And so to overcome that, you would engage in deconstruction and that would tear down those ideas. Um, and I think that 
is what we're looking at. I think when people are saying something like that, they're saying they're not saying, well, black people don't think analytically. They're saying the idea of thinking logically and rationally and using this means of going about this, that comes from colonialization. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to be under the intellectual control of those who exercise that control from a position of dominance. And so throwing that off is seen as throwing off the tools of oppression that have been used against us. Right. right. Throwing logic and analytics out the window is supposed to be a form of liberation. So you're not bound right. by the rules of thought, you mm -hmm. know, or what they would say white thought, but I would say just classical, you know, liberal thought. Um, right, right, right. And because, so, uh, yeah, go ahead because um classical liberalism is the enemy of critical theory yes. um in general whether you're talking critical race theory critical gender theory uh etc right. and to be perfectly honest i'm so used to thinking in the way that i do that post-modernity is a little bit difficult to wrap my mind around yeah. i mean aside from the fact that they kind of prided themselves on being squishy, you know, uh, <laughs> defying categories. Um, right. it, it's kind of like trying to nail jello to a wall. Yeah. Right. And that, that's exactly what they're going for. Right. Uh, they're trying to deconstruct the tools of oppression and use the pieces of those tools for anarchy. Right. Right. And, and that is the thing. That, that's basically the work that I didn't show in right. my third panel is I jumped over all of that and assumed all of that when I made my statement. Um, but that's, that's one of the reasons that critical race theory is, is so insidious and so, and so powerful and so easily uh, accepted is yeah. because the proponents of critical race theory, when you, when you push what you just said at them when you say, well, you realize it's Marxist and you're denying you, it's all based on colonialism and, and it's all based on irrationality. And yeah. then they turn around and say, Oh, so you don't care that, that black GIs didn't get uh, fair treatment after the war. Is that what you're saying? And, yeah. and the, the average person who doesn't understand what critical race theory is all <laughs> about, that has an impact on them. And they're like, Oh no, 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 no. I absolutely think that we should teach you know, fairness in history, and then you're off to the races. And we're like, well, that's why you got to have CRT. That's why we've got to get critical race theory into the schools because we're not yeah. teaching it. And the two things are not connected at all. Right. But yeah, the question's not whether or not you discuss the subject. The question is why the person is bringing the subject up. Correct. Because, I mean, I think we need to be able to find common ground. Uh, I I don't honestly have a problem with telling people about the gi bill and telling people about uh discrimination that occurred in trying to enact it I mean, that's not a problem um but if you're if it if somebody is talking about it within the context of their worldview and is trying to bring you towards a conclusion that you can't see yet then you're going to have to decide what can I disagree with and how far can I go in my agreement before I start to give pushback? Right. 
And the issue you're running into is that when you're talking to people on social media, you're trying to find that common ground. You know, you're trying to um, have a conversation where you're able to say, yes, I agree with this, but I still disagree with that. And Mm -hmm. so many of them have been indoctrinated into the assumptions of critical theory, maybe not critical race theory specifically, but critical theory in general, that they are not even comfortable with the classical liberal idea of debate the classically liberal idea of finding agreement and also disagreement because foundationally they're not ready for that conversation. They, are, they already have internalized the tenets that certain things are oppressive and white and bad, um, including debate or disagreement. Um, and so we're already a little bit ahead of a lot of people, I think, and they don't even realize it. They don't even realize that the, the framework they're already using in their own lives comes from critical theory and throwing off that logic and throwing off those analytic tools. So, um, so that's, I think where dad and I are when it comes to what do we post on social media? Um, do we go from the perspective that we can help people understand the actual tenets of critical theory better? And do we try to find that common ground or do we do what dad did the other day where he literally just wrote, Hey, if you are a Christian who still believes that critical race theory might be a good thing, let me just tell you, I know it's complicated to understand. I know you don't trust yourself to judge wisely, so just trust me. I'm your brother. We're family. I do understand critical race theory, and I've read the literature. I've interviewed experts. I know I'm qualified to tell you CRT must be rejected. It's not compatible with Christianity. Just period, full stop. So what do you think about that, about that strategy? Would you, would you have some, some feelings about using that strategy like you're not being fair? And I want, you know, your honest perspective on just telling people straight up, we're not going to have a conversation. This is the truth. Just telling people what to believe. <laughs> um, I don't know that it's, it's not being fair. I personally, just, just, just because of the way that I'm wired, um, I wouldn't function in that way. Uh, I think there's a time and a place for it. Uh, if if you're an elder in in the in a Christian church, um, you might be talking to somebody who just simply asks you, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing, and you can you can lay it out rather simply. But if you're counseling somebody who sees this coming into their workspace or has friends and family and coworkers like I do, who um, uh, they they haven't even gotten as far as even what you just said. Uh, it's essentially being presented as we just want honest history. Yeah. We just want to just we just want to add more detail to the curriculum, and there's nothing on the face of it wrong with that. Um, and so then you would have to get into more of the particulars. Well, well, why is this bad? And what was it? Yeah yesterday or two or three days ago um you two had a dialogue with a lady that taught that critical race theory doesn't teach that all white people are inherently racist and she just found it completely absurd and i asked you what does she mean by that because the the classical understanding of racism is that you have an attitude in your heart towards another person based on their ethnicity, their nationality, their appearance, which uh, exercises itself in your actions and in your interactions with those people. And so it's an attitude of the heart. 
Um, but the new definition is racism is prejudice plus power. Um, ra racism, which is systemic, is broadened out to, well, this entire country has been built upon racism. It's part of a foundation that's shot through. And so these are not things that we can revitalize. We can't look at the systems that are in place and modify them to make them better. We've got to tear it down. We've got to uh, redistribute finances to make things fair. And people are divided into oppressor and oppressed classes. And those who are racist are racist because they benefit from a racist system. Whether they know it or not, they have privilege. Right. They participate. Yep. And so that person is a racist because it's power that we're looking at, right. not the attitudes of the heart. And so when you walk down that line of reasoning, who is, in a, who is considered to be in a position of privilege and power? White people. Um, there have actually been times, and if anybody's confused about this, where someone might be teaching this and someone raises their hand and says, this sounds racist against white people. And the person teaching will respond, I can't be a racist. I don't have power. Right. That's why. That, that's why you've heard things like that. And so you by can't implication, be racist against yes. white people because they do have power. You can be prejudiced against them but the argument goes that you can't be racist because by definition it has to include cultural power. Right. So we're looking at a system that basically looks at how society is structured and divides people into classes of oppressor and oppressed and labels people as you're a racist or you can't be a racist because of the power dynamics within society. Right. By implication, yes, that would teach that all white people are racist. Right. But this lady had no clue. She just thought, well, people want to talk about racism. What's wrong with that? And they want to make it better. And we should all want to talk about it and make it better. Right. The problem is the foundational presuppositions are where we would have to disagree. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. And, and you saw that I linked this particular individual to several articles, you know, first sources, including the Department of Education in her state and a, which a, she did not read a chart that says you know that if these this is what teachers are passing out to each other to say if you can't talk about critical race theory in your classroom if you can't say critical race theory just say this instead say teaching accurate history about uh, teaching accurate facts about um history and today's laws you know mm -hmm. and it, it, that's exactly what she's which, doing which again nobody is opposed to Nobody's opposed no, no, to no. accurate history. That part about today's laws was the sneaky part. If you are, because it's when you go from history to this is the implication for today. This is why, because of the GI Bill, you know, in the this 50s. This is why everything is terrible for things you. Things are still bad today. And even though you can't point to an example of a law like that, even one that's being misapplied, um, you you still have to assume that it hasn't been long enough since the you know world wars to have eradicated systemic racism and and what you had asked nathan was what does she mean by blah 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 and what i had to say was in this case at least in this particular case this person doesn't mean anything because trying to use words to analyze things are what white people is what white people do well, she is white i know but she doesn't want to be she's been taught that it's actually wrong to try to be critical 
toward critical race theory because that's racist. You can only be critical toward anything that has been an assumption, anything you were taught as a white person, anything that you have thought to be true as a white person is up for um, dismissal, up for the chopping block. And that was why I said to you, Nathan, the only thing that might work with this particular individual is if you go into the thread as a black person and say... There's no other way that he could go into the thread, if by you, the way. But if you spelled it out, like, oh, okay. notice my skin <laughs> He's not color. going to go in as a, as a, a Chinese woman. If, He's going to go in as a You never know these black days. Dude. Yeah. You never know. Oh, hello, honey. I hear you want to talk about critical race theory. Oh, yeah. I know about that. I teach for you. for her and say, like, look. I, this is my experience. You have to use the buzzwords. And I think you can do this, Nathan. You've done enough reading. You know how to talk about it. You say, you know, my experience. Lived experience. My lived lived experience experience tells me that actually um, the way that school is being uh, systemically racist now is by um, biasing black children against their ability to learn or think analytically. Actually, the system, because of its employment of things like social emotional learning and um, what's the other thing? Uh, system. Uh, I forget the other one. Also, other words. Other words that they make other up. Other words that mean things. It's a dime a dozen. They can just make yeah. up new words all the time if they wanted. But like, they're finding ways to implement this philosophy for little kids. And if you do this with kids who are five, six, seven years old, they're going to live up to your expectation of them. If your expectation is black children cannot learn the same way white children can. Um, regardless of the excuse you give it, whether it's because you believe that the cops are going to shoot them or they're not able to get proper housing or they're not able to find, you know, driver's licenses to vote or whatever it is, whatever narrative you're pushing out, that is eventually going to create a systemic in, uh, difference, right. <laughs> you know, in the way that kids are graduating. Um, and But my point was the only way she might even be willing to listen would be just based purely on judging your skin color. And that's, mm-hmm. I firmly believe that there are a lot of people in the United States now. I've said this to dad about feminism and patriarchy too. He could say the exact same thing as me. But if I come in and say it being a woman, I will potentially get a different response than he would. And there's a better chance I would get somebody at least pretending to agree with me, even if they don't understand still what that's, I'm saying. That's the only reason that you're on this podcast is because you're a woman. <laughs> Uh, and it's frustrating because I am, I, once upon a time, I wanted to have my blog be a very like intellectual, you know, well-reasoned, <laughs> logical space. Like there was a time I set out to have those conversations. My very first blog was all about inviting people to just a- ask me your honest questions and I'll do my best to give you a reasoned response. But I quickly learned that most people didn't even know what questions to ask. And that was why we decided to invite you on, Nathan, because when you were saying, well, I just want to present the questions that most people may have or help John show his work, you know, between the lines. I don't know if most people have the questions you're able to come up with. I don't know if most people are even thoughtful enough to ask those same critical, careful, thoughtful questions. I know the answer to that. (laughs) No. (laughs) They're not. They are not. (laughs) So... I don't know. I'm not trying to dissuade you because I'm glad that there are people in the body of Christ who are who are called and compelled to be careful and thoughtful, you know, regardless of what dad has to say about how you need to be dumber. We don't legitimately seriously think you need to be dumber. <laughs> but 
If, but you do need to be prepared for the just vast amounts of dumb people you're going to run into on social media if you're not already. <laughs> I think you already are hip to that, aren't you, Nathan? <laughs> well, I actually um, I interact on social media very carefully. Um, I, I actually think more, more of my conversations are in person uh-huh. on the subject than on the Internet. Um, it, and that can be very helpful because I would like to think half the time if you can be reasonable and careful and control your emotions and the person knows you, then they don't feel like they're being attacked, but complete strangers on the internet, they just lob bombs at each other. Like it's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and there's just something about even as Christians, not really thinking about the fact that there's not much difference between how you conduct yourself in person and from a distance. Like, it would be really bad if I sinned against you when you were right in front of my face. But if I sinned against you with a keyboard over the Internet, then that's okay because you had it coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's nails. That We've had that conversation. I had that conversation with two different people in the last day. Um, two different brothers who I think the world of, but I think they're mistaken um, because they are, they are of the opinion that they're job is to uh is to basically not die on the hills on social media because they've said the same thing it's like social media is not a place where conversation really takes place it's better to go face to face and while i respect that point of view i disagree with it um because i don't think i told them it would be nice if we could pick where conversations took place it would be wonderful if we could say you know what uh, we're going to be, we have a church service at 9 a.m. on Sunday, and we would love to have you come in, and we'll have a reasonable, reasonable face-to-face conversation over coffee at church and have everybody go, okay, that's a great idea, and show up. But it doesn't work that way. Most of the people have conversations via social media, and if you took those people off of social media and put them in a room with other people to speak face-to-face, the communication would not be better because they're, they're lousy communicators in the first place. And so just changing modes of communication doesn't solve the problem either. Um, and mm-hmm. so, and, and again, that's not to, and I told them, look, I respect it. If you would rather have a face-to-face conversation than, than, go, than doing it online, that's fine. The problem is that most people are not as thoughtful as you, Nathan, or the guys that I was talking to. And I said that what we, I, and I was uh, 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 including myself into this group, I was talking to two guys who are pastors, and I said, what we are doing is we are having conversations with each other that are different from the conversations that we're having with people outside of our group, outside of our elite circle of friends where iron sharpens iron. We're not doing that with the people outside of our group. And I think that that is a failure on our part. I think that we are, we are judging that those people are not able to handle the conversation that we have. And so so we just don't bring it up. It's like I just don't even get involved. I, I don't even. I don't even want to start a fight. It's a. It, it takes a lot of time, and it's just going to upset people. So I'm not going to do it. And it's like, well, you're judging. You know, who are who are you to decide what person is ready to receive uh, the truth? That's that's above your pay grade. And, hey, and you don't you don't have to uh, do it all at once. Um, the pastor of my last church gave me some good advice. Uh, it was on a slightly different topic, 
but I can relate it and you'll see because I was talking to him about sharing the gospel um, with people in your life. And he said, if somebody walks up to you and they're thirsty, you don't dump a bucket of water over their head. You give them a glass of water. And so he said that his tactic over the last few decades has been to try to understand the truth to the best of his ability and live it out. And every opportunity, even if it's just little ones, to speak some truth into a situation is the one that he will take. So just last week, I was at work and uh, I don't plan on telling people where I work over the Internet because I don't want to get canceled one day. (laughs) (laughs) And the other people in the office were like, you're really quiet today. Are you okay?" And I said, well, I'm listening to a lecture. They said it must be on something good. I was like, well, actually, it's based on the French derivation of postmodern thought in relation to critical theory. And <laughs> Is that like the Avengers? <laughs> and uh, one of the ladies that I was talking to, so it's like, oh, and I said, well, you know, just in the interest of full disclosure, I'm not a critical race theorist. And uh, I kind of said that to comfort her in a sense just so that you know i wouldn't be coming to work um with any ill feelings towards her or or talking in that way or trying to talk about those things um but she looked even more surprised that i told her that i didn't necessarily adhere to critical race theory Uh, and so i said you know i i need to explain a little bit because people who, I hate to say it, um, conservatives, I've been happy that they've understood that Marxism is one of the intellectual predecessors of critical theory. But uh, people are running around a lot with their hair on fire and being very inflammatory um, and also not very careful in their language uh, using critical race theory, intersectionality, communism, Marxism, all as though they're synonymous and not really describing any of it. Right. Um, it's just not helpful. And so <clears throat> she um, she is ver- she is very liberal, uh, very to the left of me. But uh, we're both great friends. Um, but she was very frustrated at the about how the conservatives were acting um, about the subject. And so I told her. Because she was saying, how do you know that this is bad when you don't really understand anything about it? And I said, well, you know, it goes both ways. How do you know that critical race theory is good um, if you haven't understood it and really looked into what it teaches? Because critical race theory is not just teaching on how racism expresses itself from a broader perspective and systemically. It's a specific um, scholarly approach to mapping out the lines of oppression across ideologies and history and religion and how how it manifests itself in the societal context with an aim towards activism to restructure society so it's a particular line of thought it's a particular approach um, it's a particular method of activism and so as i've said before our argument is not about race ironically because everybody's talking about race the issue isn't race the issue is the ideas and if we have different ideas we should be allowed to disagree at the very least um but we're we're going to have some tensions when 
these ideas are coming into conflict in places where people have positions of political authority. Because if you start with ideas that have perhaps negative ramifications when they're enacted into policy, then what you're trying to do is prevent negative unintended consequences by viewing things in a way that show you to be compassionate, yes, but just not accurate. What did your coworker say when you said, well, how do you know that critical race theory is necessarily good if you don't understand it? Did she have a retort? Well, no, because I, I wasn't directing that at her, just in general, um, and, and tried to broaden open her perspective that you can't make a hard judgment call and react emotionally to something that you don't understand. Right. And uh, that that really did seem to open up her eyes, and she agreed. She said, yeah, you know, that, that is true. How would you know if it's good if you don't even understand it? There you go. Well, what do you think, Dad? Have we have we turned Nathan into our perfect little troll? No, I think I've I think I have failed, which is pretty much what I do on every episode of this podcast. As I put a thing forward and say this is what I'm going to do, and then I fail to do it. We're going to teach Nathan to not be nice, and looks yeah. like you failed. Well, just Carl, in case in case you're new around here, that's. I, I speak a lot in hyperbole because it's funny, uh, not necessarily because I sincerely am suggesting that our friend Nathan should be dumber on and purpose. And I do, I do think some people have attention or a conflict in their own mind when they see you post stuff that's funny and inflammatory and a little controversial on social media. They kind of ask themselves, is that what I'm supposed to be doing too? And the answer is not necessarily. Not necessarily. Yeah, I would say that just because I have a particular way of interacting with ladies who come and say, well, CRT is just teaching accurate history, that does not mean that Nathan has to adopt the exact right. same strategy every just, time. Just because the Peaches has a job of interacting with women who say, you know what, children are not that big a deal. They're just a byproduct of... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Copulation. Oh, my goodness. Just a byproduct. Well, one, one of, of your sayings, people. John, is I choose to be salty so that you can be bland. That's right. I choose to be I, salty so you can be I, bland. I am definitely not advocating for some somebody to go and get involved in a conversation that they aren't convinced is righteous and glorifying to the heavenly father. Right. That's, like, a, that's a key component. Yeah. I don't say things just to be incendiary. I don't they think, say things just to upset people. Right. I always try to speak the truth. And as long as I'm speaking the truth, I don't care if people get upset. Right. But that's not the same thing as intentionally upsetting people. Well, and I tend to approach, you know, Nathan tends to approach everybody like they're a, a potential friend, somebody who they may he may take a college course with. You know, if you would just given the time, you know, you could have a cup of coffee. I tend to approach people like I'm only going to get 10 seconds with them before they disappear off into the ether. And they are probably at step one. Like, I'm assuming that they are more like my children or my, you know, young friends that I teach at church and not necessarily that they're at a higher level intellectually. And so if you were going to go and teach critical race theory to second graders, for example, you would have to dumb it down. You know, you would, you would not be able to talk like this. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are going to talk to Carl and have a discussion like we've just had, hopefully... 
it's been beneficial to have our friend Nathan here. And it's always beneficial to have our friend Nathan here. Sh- should I play our outro? We have a we have Nathan's in our uh, in our group too. So if you want to talk like Peach says directly to Nathan, you should join our click. Uh, if you're not in the click, Carl, I don't. Yeah, I don't have anything nice to say to you right now. So um, you need to join. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, Nathan, and and keeping Thanks me for honest. Me. Yeah, it's a. This, this is the other thing that we talked about. That this is what friends do. Friends, friends keep you honest, and friends don't let you color outside the lines. If they've noticed that you've said something that was unclear or something that was inaccurate, they go, "Hey, dude, is this what you meant to say?" Because because it's dumb the way you said it and so um no i appreciate it i i appreciate it if i if we we talk all the time about truthfulness and the the true friends in your life are the people who say true things to you so you're my friend you're my friend nathan we'll see you on telegram nathan (laughs) yes ma'am thanks for having me bye carl bye carl Thanks so much for visiting today, Carl. Join the Comedians family at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference this September. More details at flfnetwork.com. We can't wait to meet all our new neighbors.